Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor we're Jim. Going to, we're going to continue our series today and in, in, about the blood of Jesus. We've titled this series, The Blood Bought Life. And we started where you would expect for us to start, I, I would imagine. And that is that we have atonement through the blood of Jesus. Jesus bought us back. We belong to him. The life that we live doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. And we should live in such a way so as to reflect Him in everything that we do. And that not only did He buy us back with His blood, but that yes, last week we talked about how His blood is sufficient to accomplish the task He set out and purposed it to accomplish, which is to sanctify the believer, to remove sin, and to perfect us forever, that we might be in His presence forever. Today I want to talk to you about victory in the blood that we have victory because christ had victory christ is victory and so we have that victory that is only available to us by accepting the blood sacrifice that he gave amen and so that's what i want to talk about today i want to talk about how the victory found in the blood of jesus and what that victory accomplished for those willing to accept jesus christ as lord and savior before I do that, I want to tell you a little story. I want to tell you a truth about myself. Many of you don't know this, but when I was younger, I was a closet pro wrestling fanatic. Like, I loved me some pro wrestling. Y'all ever watch pro wrestling? You know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about like real wrestling, I'm talking about pro wrestling. And I'm not talking about that weird pro wrestling they do now. I'm talking about old school Jerry Lawler, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, real pro wrestlers, right? Woo! Right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I loved that. And I thought it was so real, man. Like when I was young, I can remember I had the, the Hulk Hogan like stretch doll and the little... The WWF, I think it's WWF, ring that they, you'd put them all in, all that stuff. Anyway, I had all that stuff. I thought it was such a big deal and that they were, they were really doing it. For those of you guys that watch that, still watch that, I'm, I may be giving you a spoiler here, so, so close your ears if you need to. I've since found out that none of that is real. I <laughs> lanes all back there. I'm never coming back here. These blasphemous lies being told in here. None of that is real. Whoever is going to be victorious at the end of that thing is determined who is going to, by, before the beginning of the match, who is going to be victorious. Victory had already been established before the fight was fought. And I didn't know that. So why fight the fight? Because they wanted to put on a good show. Because good shows people pay attention to. Why do I bring this up in church? Because the victory that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ was determined long before we stepped into the ring. And our only job is to put on a good show 
of the one that saved us, that gave us that victory, Christ Jesus, for the people that watch us. The victory that Jesus has and gave to us was His victory. And we fight from His victory. The, the wrestler doesn't fight for victory. He fights from victory. He's just putting on a good show. And now don't get me wrong, I don't want you to put on some thinly veiled show, but your life should be a demonstration because of the victory that you have of the work that Christ did so that you could have that victorious life. Because before that victory, we were in a bad way. The Word of God is very specific to say in Colossians 1.20, through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Jesus made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Which means He had victory on heaven and on earth. He brought peace by the blood shed on the cross. And peace can't be had without a victory. James 4.4 4 says, You adulteresses. That's a big word, man. You who committed yourself to me, but decided to live some other kind of way. Those who said you'd belong to me and sold yourself to somebody else. I'll say, that word hurts my heart for the church today. Obviously, it hurt uh, James's heart for the church then. Because there's always a faction of people, a percentage of people within the church that call themselves Christian that are living as adulteresses. While they're in the house of their husband, they act one way. When they're in the house of their lover, they act a different way. So he says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world acting a different way is hostile towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So peace had to be established. Victory had to be won. Because according to Romans 8, 7, the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. At enmity with God. We were at war with God because we showed Him wrongly to the world. We sinned. Both by, both by action and by birth. We are sinners according to the Word of God. And people say, well, why would God care about that? Why wouldn't God care about that? People are, well, it's just a small sin. It's an affront to God. There's no small sin to God. Because we were created in the image of God. Did you know that? The Bible says that you were created in the image of God, which means you should be a reflection of the God that you serve to every person you come into contact with. So why is it an affront to God when we sin? Because when we step out into the world in sin, we've told people we're a Christian, we're showing them what God looks like in our own mind and establishing in theirs what they should expect from God and other believers. I'd be mad about that too. We deserve the wrath of God for such things. But praise God, He didn't give us that. He gave us victory through the blood sacrifice of His Son, Jesus. 
through the sacrifice that couldn't be accomplished, as we've stated over and over again since we started this series. And we'll probably say again in the last two, that it accomplished that which the Old Testament sacrifices couldn't accomplish. They could give us consciousness of sin. We could know that we were sinners by the sacrifices, but couldn't do anything about it. It could push our guilt forward, but not remove it. Jesus did all of these things. And henceforth removed the enmity between God and us. Man, that's so good. It's, it's good to me for a bunch of reasons. The most significant reason why that victory is good for me, why it makes me, gives me a confidence I wouldn't otherwise have, is because he didn't have to. It's because he did it because he loves us. Because he did it because he knew that there would be no way to cleanse us or to forgive us without the shedding of blood. This is what the word of God says. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. And so he died for us. Because life is in the blood. Mm, good. God's good. God's good. So Jesus brought victory because his blood was shed. His perfect blood was shed. To cleanse us and to atone for our sins. And so the reason I, I'm up here today is to tell you this. Jesus' blood brought complete victory. I'm going to make one point. I'm going to make a couple sub-points, but this is the only point I'm making all day. Jesus' blood brought complete victory. I want to read you some text. Hebrews chapter 10, which we taught out of last week, verses 12 and 13 reads like this. But he, capital H, that being Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. We talked about last week about how that demonstrated how the, the finality of the work, how it had been accomplished, that it never needed to be repeated again, unlike this, the uh, priest who had to do it day by day by day by day. Jesus sat down saying, this is finished, I'm done with this. But this is the one I want you to pay attention to. Waiting from that time onward until, everybody say until, his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. I bring it up and ask you to say until because I need you to realize that that hasn't happened yet. The victory is complete. His enemies, he's still waiting on his enemies to acknowledge that that victory has happened which is why we still have to understand that there is victory for us in Christ Jesus because if Christ still has enemies both in heaven and on earth, then so do we. But because the work is finished and He sat down, it's complete. If we'll rest in the victory that He gave us, then it's a matter of us simply doing as He did, which is sit down, take comfort in the fact that ultimately those who were destroyed will ultimately acknowledge that, that which destroyed them, which is the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. Everybody with me? But there until means that there will be a time. 
Praise the Lord. Because there's spiritual enemies right now. There's physical enemies to God right now. But there will be a time when the Bible tells us that every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. This is what they will confess specifically. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Because Jesus' victory is complete. He's not waiting on victory. He's waiting on those who have already lost to come under submission of that victory. And since He gave that victory to us, we have the same privilege and ability that at some point there will be no enemies of Christ and nothing to attack us. But nothing can attack us now because we only have, the enemy only has the ability to attack us where we allow him to attack us. Let me give you a, a profound truth that I was going to save for later that the enemy can only do in your life what you allow him to do. He can only have victory in the areas you allow him to have victory in. And so we should celebrate God for that. Because there will come a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of God the Father. Or with God the Father. How many of you guys believe that? Let me, let me clarify what I'm asking you. How many of you guys believe that when the Word of God says every knee will bow... Every tongue will confess that that's true. Okay. Stay with me. I'm here to tell you that every road, every prayer, every false God leads to heaven. I know, I just messed you up, didn't I, Miss Celia? It leads to heaven. Long enough for them to bow their knee, declare Jesus Christ as Lord, and then have to leave. It doesn't lead to a place where you get to stay there, just that you go there to declare who He is. Could you imagine such a horrible thing? Could you imagine making it there? You declaring Jesus Christ as Lord, tasting even just for a second the beauty that must, have, that must be heaven. Making this declaration and then God say, depart from me for I never knew you because you didn't make that declaration in life. And then having to live with that truth for all of eternity. That you tasted it for a brief second but didn't get to hold it. How many of you guys think that would be horrible? It would be one of the most horrible things I can imagine. Let me ask you another question. How many people have you told about Jesus this week? And the reason I ask that is because if you truly believe that this is true and you're not telling people about Jesus, there's one of two possible reasons. One, you don't believe that this is true. Or two, you're the most horrible person on earth. 
Because how can you have this profound truth inside of you and walk past other people that are going to that place? The victory was had for us, given to us, so that we might declare through us that that victory can be had for others too. His victory is absolutely complete. It's not just complete for us, it's complete over his enemies. Jesus brought victory over his enemies. Hebrews 2.14 reads like this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless. Everybody say render powerless. Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Render powerless. You know what that means? No power. Absence of power. I let me calm down here a minute before I say something mean and ugly. So many of us walk around all mealy mouth and tired and hunched over, staring at the floor, not realizing that you have the power within you because you belong to Christ Jesus to defeat the enemies around you because Christ gave you the ability to do that through his own victory. We, he rendered powerless the enemy to show us that it can be done. It says that he partook of the flesh, which means he became that which he wasn't naturally. He became flesh to show us that the enemy could be beaten. Man, devil's beating me to death this week. He can only do what you allow him to do. Man, my life's horrible. I can't believe this happened to me. The enemy can only do what you allow him to do. He has no authority over you. He has no authority or power over the word of God. Because Jesus took on the flesh to show us how it's done. Matthew 4, 1 through 11 talks about Jesus Christ walking through the desert and how he was tempted in every way imaginable. How did he defeat the enemy? Did he get into a debate? Well, I see where you're coming from there. And I know this situation that I'm in is bad. It's hot out here. We're in a desert. He didn't say anything. He just quoted scripture. And then he got challenged again. And what did he do? Quoted scripture. And then he got challenged again. And what did he do? He quoted scripture. And then what did the devil do? He challenged him again? No, it says he turned and left. But he partook of the flesh to be able to do that. Jesus partook of the flesh for two reasons. One, to show you that you have the ability to do it in the flesh, because he did it in the flesh. But also so that he could die, so that you could have the victory to know that you could do what he did in the flesh. God, that's so good. I mean, it's legit up here. <laughs> that's just for y'all, the first two services didn't get that. Probably better if y'all hadn't got it. But, but my point is, he took on the flesh to render the enemy powerless so that we could walk in the perfection of the flesh and so that he could die so we could have it. So that we could have the confidence to know that according to Hebrews 4.15, that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. 
but one that has been tempted in all things by the same way, yet without sinning. To quote a line from the water boy, you can do it. Some of y'all are going to have to watch that movie. But you can really do it. Like it's not a myth. It's not something that we just talk about. It's not theory. You can do it. You can actually do it. You can walk in the victory that Jesus Christ died to give you. You're right, Clay. Just walk in it. Believe in it. Do what Jesus did. Declare the word over it. Walk in expectation of it. People ask me, they say, Pastor Jim, what, what Bible verses should I memorize? And I tell all of them. And then they'll say, well, what I really love is when somebody comes up and says, like they expect that I, that I legitimately have the whole Bible memorized. I, mean, I'm, I got like five verses to go, but I mean, I'm not there yet. And they'll come up to me and they'll be all, man, that Galatians 3.12 is a good one, ain't it? And I'm all, yeah, I mean, it's got to be. It's the Word of God, but can you help me out? Can you maybe frame a reference for it or something? You know? But in all seriousness, when somebody come and ask me, they say, how do, which Bible, Bible verses would you recommend I memorize first? I always tell them, what's, the, what's your biggest struggle? Where do you find yourself falling short more often? Find a verse that gives you victory over that. Memorize it and speak it over your life every time it enters your head. And you'll find that you don't conform then, but transform your mind. So that you can know the perfect will of God. But it starts with the word of God. Defeating just like Jesus defeated because Jesus was flesh just like your flesh. Showing that it can be done. We have a high priest that can sympathize with us. Man, that's so good. Not only though does he have victory over his enemies. He brought victory over death. The greatest enemy if you will. Any of you guys ever read 1 Corinthians chapter 15? First Corinthians 15, I'm not going to read it all. But the whole thing talks, the whole chapter is about Christ's resurrection and our resurrection because of his resurrection. So it talks about the resurrection. It's beautiful, man. If you've ever feared death, I want you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and internalize every single truth in it. Because there is no death for you. I'm going to say it again. There is no death for you because there was no death for him. He was the first fruits of the resurrection, which means he was the proof that the resurrection was going to happen for you. I love this. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. But then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men of, of men most to be pitied. These are all rhetorical statements because none of them are true. Jesus was raised from the dead, so we do have hope. Jesus was raised from the dead, so we are not to be pitied. We are to be the opposite of pitied. We should glory in the hope that we have. 
we should stand firm in the hope that we have and recognize that the hope that we have is not only eternal, but it's only available because Christ Jesus took the victory for us and then gave us that victory to walk the same way that he walked, to not fear the same way he didn't fear. You know what Jesus was afraid of? Nothing. Because him being God, he'd have to be perfect love. And perfect love casts out fear. But the Bible tells us in, see if I've got it here. Hebrews 2.15, the end of that verse is, The fear of death subjects us to lifelong slavery. The fear of death subjects us to lifelong slavery. The greatest fear of mankind is to die. Because for the unbeliever. Because it's, it's the great uncertainty. And because there's such uncertainty in death, because they think that death is final, because they have no hope for their future, they're enslaved by their fear. How many of us, because we're enslaved by our fear too, because our, we're not there yet, what adventuresome thing would you do that God's called you to if you didn't fear anything? People, I'm fully convinced that most people don't step into their calling because they fear failure or death of that calling or death period depending on what that calling is but it's not for man to fear death jesus didn't fear death he brought victory over death and then gave that victory over death to us and so where to the unbeliever fear is or death is the greatest fear to the believer death should be the greatest expectation I've said it before, I said it the first time I ever said it, I said it tongue-in-cheek just playing around, but it's really quite profound, and the only way I can think to say it is that we're worried about dying when our life isn't even that significant. This is the interview process for eternity. This is our resume. We haven't even started the job yet. We're getting all worked up over the fact that we're sitting in the office about to have a discussion. This is just the interview process. Live like this is the interview process for the job that you're hoping to get. Because our hope is set, our hope is assured, you're going to get that job if you walk in the victory that Christ Jesus died to give you. So walk in expectation. Max Licato said it in a way that I think is beautiful. I can't remember which book it was, but he was talking about death. And he, was, he said that death, that God looks at death as a grandfather stares at a delivery room door. I want you to just imagine that for a second. God pictures our death or anticipates our death like a grandfather watching a delivery room door. Any grandfathers in here? Grandmothers? Grandparents? You know, they won't let you into the birthing room, which, trust me, that's, just, that's probably better. I'm sure what happened to the lights. Can you still see me? Okay. So, in the delivery room, in the, so they don't let you into the delivery room.
So you're sitting and you're hanging out in the, in the lobby. And you're watching that door. And you can't wait for the opportunity to get your hands on that baby. You want to hold that baby. You want to hug that baby. You want to kiss that baby. You want to shower that baby with gifts. You want to do all the stuff that you've been dreaming about for nine months with that baby. Perhaps it's time we start looking at death's door the same way. That on the other side of this door is a God that loves us so much he can't wait to get his hands on us. That he can't wait to shower us with love like we've never seen. That he can't wait to kiss us and gift us with the things that he's been anticipating since the foundations of the earth. All available because Jesus Christ brought victory through the cross and destroyed the enmity that was between us. That's beautiful, isn't it? And he gave that victory to us. So that we can walk out exactly what Christ walked out. As profoundly and confidently as Christ walked it out. There's victory in the blood. We just have to believe that it's true. Amen? And so that's what, we're, that's what we're believing today. That's what I'm believing for you today. That victory is had through the blood of Jesus. But that victory is already complete. We've just been called to walk in it. So we're going to take communion. And I want to talk to you about the fact that it's in that victory. It's that victory that we remember. You guys are familiar, because I read from it quite often, with Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a chapter of prophecy of who Jesus is, what he would accomplish written by Isaiah and it reads like this I'm just going to read se several verses out of the text I'm not going to get into it deep verses 4 and 5 read like this surely our griefs he himself bore all for our victory and for our sorrows he carried yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken smitten of God afflicted but he was pierced through for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Thank you. So listen, to obtain victory for you, this is what Jesus did. I'm just going to read the action words. He was smitten. He was afflicted. He was pierced. He was crushed. He was chastened. And he was scourged so that we could have the victory he died to give us. Verse 10 says this. It's just always blown my mind. It's been so profound, such a profound truth when I grabbed a hold of it. Verse 10 says like this. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. <laughs> what? It says God was pleased to crush him. Why? Because he knew that in his victory, we would have victory. And he'd be on the other side of that door waiting on us. This is what we remember in communion, that Jesus Christ's body was broken for our victory. His blood was shed so we could partake of his victory. Why did he do it? 
He did it because He loves you. He did it because He wanted to. And He did it so that He could spend the love that He has for you on you throughout all of eternity. That should drive us all to a place of reverence, to say the least. So I want to read you a text. We're going to take communion together. As you know or may not know, we never take communion here without an opportunity for repentance first. First Corinthians, and this is why, because First Corinthians chapter 11 tells us this. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the blood of the body and the blood of the Lord. Which means don't take this cup or drink this drink if you're not good to go, if, if, if there's something standing between you and God because you make yourself guilty. He said, but instead, a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if he eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. We would not be judged. The body of Christ is sickly. It's hurting. It's falling asleep. I think a, a significant portion of the reason for that is because we don't take the time to examine ourselves while still aligning ourselves with the work of Christ. We say we're something without actually being something. And that's what he's telling us. Before you say you belong to me, make sure that you belong to me. Make sure that whether you've been saved or not, if you haven't been saved, make sure that before you take communion, you do the right thing. You give your life to the Lord. If you've already given your life to the Lord, make sure that there's nothing standing between you and the Lord that would hinder your prayers or keep you out of perfect relationship. That's what we pray. That's why we pray it. And so I'm going to lead a prayer, and it's, a, it's going to pray my own prayer. If you haven't committed your life to the Lord, or if there's something standing between you and God, fix it before you partake. Because I don't want you to be judged. I don't want you to be weak or sick or asleep. Neither does God. That's the reason why He did what He did to give us the victory. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us. God, as I look at these elements, these things that you told us to remember, that your body was broken for us, that you were beaten for us, that you were chastised for us. God, as I look at the blood that was shed so that you and I may be in covenant, God, I, I apologize. I, I repent. I ask your forgiveness where I've fallen short of our covenant agreement. Where I've sinned and cast a shadow of maybe even doubt about you in someone else's eyes. God, I repent where I haven't trusted you completely. I repent, Heavenly Father, where I've fallen short of your word and your expectation of me. God, if there's anything between you and I that I may not even see, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit you convict me. 
that you show me what it is and do the same for the people in this room that you convict us concerning sin, judgment, or righteousness and judgment so that we might walk in wholeness with you, so that we might be in relationship with you. We thank you, God, for who you are and that you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which also I deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I'm so thankful to God that we have an opportunity to remember the victory that he died to give us. My prayer is, is and will continue to be that you walk in the confidence of that victory. Recognize that the fight's already been fought. Just rest in the fact that it's finished and know that there'll be a time where all enemies of God physical or spiritual, will submit to Christ. Amen?